Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, November 21st, and this is your FT News Briefing. The U.S. ambassador to the EU turns against Donald Trump in the latest impeachment hearing testimony. Saudi Aramco boxes out the global investment banks who had been advising on the IPO, and General Motors is suing a rival over alleged union bribes. Plus, we'll look at the state of the retail industry and why a few companies are rising above the rest. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Hotelier Gordon Sondland was named envoy to the EU after donating $1 million to Donald Trump's inauguration fund. Yesterday, Mr. Sondland turned against the president in the latest House impeachment hearing. Many have seen Mr. Sondland as a central figure in the inquiry. And on Wednesday, he became the first member of the president's inner circle to acknowledge a, quote, quid pro quo. The FT's Lauren Feeder was at Mr. Sondland's hearing. One of the key things he said was that, quote, everyone was in the loop. And what he meant by that was that all of the kind of senior officials, whether it be in the State Department, in the White House, at the kind of highest levels of U.S. diplomacy, all knew what was going on in Ukraine and all knew about the investigations that Donald Trump was seeking. Some of the people that he mentioned in his testimony were Mike Pence, the vice president, Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state. Mick Mulvaney, who's the acting chief of staff in the White House, and Rick Perry, who's the energy secretary. Then the other big thing he said is he he used the phrase quid pro quo. I know that members of this committee frequently frame these complicated issues in the form of a simple question. Was there a quid pro quo? As I testified previously, with regard to the requested White House call and the White House meeting, the answer is yes. Though I think it's important to point out that when he talked about a quid pro quo, what he was talking about was the withholding of a a White House meeting between Trump and Zelensky, his Ukrainian counterpart, and b a phone call between the two leaders. What he didn't specifically say was that there was a quid pro quo where military aid was being held up conditional on those investigations. He did, however, then say that he presumed that military aid was part of the deal. And we should point out that this testimony is a reversal of what Mr. Sondland said in his closed-door testimony to Congress. So, Lauren, what does Mr. Sondland's testimony mean in the grand scheme of the larger impeachment inquiry? Sure. So, you know, Democrats, including Adam Schiff, came out and said that this was pivotal evidence, perhaps the most significant evidence that we've had to date. Republicans dismissed the evidence, as you might imagine. Stephanie Grisham, the White House press secretary, came out and said it changed nothing. So, you know, in some ways, I think we've taken some significant steps forward. But when it comes to the politics in Washington and whether the hearts and minds, particularly of Republicans on the Senate side, have changed, it's still probably too early to tell. As Saudi Aramco nears its flotation, some of the biggest names in banking are being left out in the cold. The likes of J.P. Morgan Chase and Morgan Stanley spent years locking down a comfortable spot in the state oil group's initial public offering. But Aramco is turning to local brokers to sell shares to domestic investors. And missing out on the fees that come with selling shares will sting. One source said that banks had been expected to rake in as much as $90 million. Earlier this week, Saudi Aramco decided to scale back its IPO thanks to weak foreign demand. 
and part of that scaling back trickles down to the banks. Information shared with the banks showed that only three of the nine, quote, global coordinators will actually have oversight of all investor orders. Those three are Saudi Arabia's NCB Capital and Samba Capital, as well as HSBC. And General Motors and the United Auto Workers just ended a 40-day strike over pay negotiations. But GM says that previous rounds of negotiations in 2011 and 2015 are cause for concern. The UAW has been investigated since 2017 over corruption. GM says Fiat Chrysler interfered with bargaining talks by paying bribes to union leaders. The FT's Peter Campbell explains. During the course of the investigation, the UAW and FCA officials have pled guilty to operating a long-running bribery scheme, and one FCA executive has gone to prison. General Motors, in a lawsuit filed on Wednesday, said this had left it paying much higher costs because FCA was able to get concessions that it couldn't. It's thought the amount of money GM paid out has run into the billions of dollars, and GM says it is seeking extensive damages from FCA. Fiat Chrysler, for its part, says that GM's lawsuit is an attempt to disrupt its own merger with Peugeot, which is going through at the moment. And here's a story you should know more about. The holiday shopping season officially kicks off next week with Black Friday. While shoppers search for the biggest deals, investors will be keeping tabs on which stores ring up the profits. This year, the retail story is mixed. Some companies have successfully adapted to e-commerce. Others are finding themselves forced to close stores and cut jobs. I talked to Alistair Gray, who covers U.S. retail for the FT. The U.S. consumer is still in pretty good shape. Macro data is still largely positive. Shoppers still have their wallets open. So for now, the, the challenges really are more about the retail business than the U.S. consumer, although you know, the, the data isn't universally positive, but it's still, you know, the U.S. consumer is still a big source of strength for the global economy. Companies that have been able to actually give customers what they want um, and are adapting to e-commerce, so faring well. Walmart, for example, as well as just being a, a grocery powerhouse, that's, um, that accounts for more than half of its US sales. It's also found success with um, some of its online ventures, particularly so-called curbside pickup, which is just buying online and collecting in stores. That's really part of an effort to better utilize its really formidable physical presence and integrate that with its online offering, which it's had a reasonable success at. So Alistair, how does Walmart stack up against Amazon? Walmart's annual sales are still more than double Amazon's. That's clearly mostly because of real life stores. Online, they are um, tiny compared to Amazon, as is everyone else. It's worth noting that no one in the US, including Amazon, has yet really been able to make online grocery work. So that's a potentially a big source of competitive strength for uh, Walmart, although it too is kind of not being able to, certainly hasn't been able to roll out online grocery. Many reasons for that in the US, it's just the business model is very difficult, partly because of the sheer size of the country, the delivery costs just it just hasn't been able to make it work yet. People think that some of the secret for Walmart could lie, may well lie, in fact, in the general merchandise business, which does attract 
uh, higher profit margins. Grocery online is a big traffic driver to the website. So if they can get people online ordering some groceries and also uh, ordering general merchandise at the same time, that could be a big sort of um, strength for Walmart's e-commerce business. To do that, it really needs to broaden its appeal to customers. The number of items that it sells on walmart.com is 75 million, which sounds like a lot, and it is a lot. Uh, It's really a fraction of what's available for Amazon. So, Alistair, Walmart is doing well. Amazon is doing well. But it's a real mixed bag for the rest of the retail industry. Why is that? Yeah, it's really pretty mixed. As I say, companies that sell products that people actually want are doing fine. Um, on Wednesday morning, we're due to have earnings from Target, which, like Walmart, has been is faring perfectly well, sells kind of the everyday items that, that people want and has also made progress online. So it really depends on the type of retail we're talking about. One of the, the biggest, if not the hardest hit sector that really has completely failed to deal with the age of e-commerce are department stores. Sales are forecast to decline at Macy's. There's a pretty nasty reaction to earnings on Tuesday from Kohl's, which is another big chain in the US, operates more than a thousand stores across the country. Its stock tanked by about, I think it was 18%. Several quarters of uh, sales declines. They did pick up in the most recent one, but it wasn't nearly as strong a recovery as people hoped for. So it's pretty difficult for department stores. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. One quick thing before I go. It's time for the FT's Seasonal Appeal, where we highlight the work of charity and ask readers and listeners to support it. This year, our partner is the Zoological Society of London. We'll be reporting on how ZSL works to fight organized poaching and to support communities affected by it. Visit ft.com forward slash seasonal appeal to learn more. 